everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. It's it's a new year, it's 2024, and I know it's been a while since we put out a podcast. I just want to talk to you a little bit up front. <laughs> I love doing this podcast. At the end of last year, I just had a period of time where I was on the road a ton, and I was also rather sick. Like, I really was not doing well. Uh, I've had some time to recover. I've gotten some good antibiotics, one round, two rounds. Uh, some steroids and some other things. It's helped. The doctors are working on things. I'm, I'm getting better. I'm feeling stronger. I didn't want to restart the podcast until I thought we could sustain it. We've added some pieces to our team. We've got a good schedule. I've got three podcasts scheduled. I'm doing this one solo today. There's a lot of stuff coming up, and I think we're going to be able to sustain this now for a while. But I just want to say hi. It's nice to talk to you all again. I miss doing this. I love having uh, this podcast as something that we share together. And I just want to say thanks for hanging in there. Um, you can expect to hear us now pretty regularly for a while. And uh, let's go with that. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. Uh, Gryffindor and I have headed in the office here at night. We'll see if he disrupts my recording. <laughs> I was lucky enough today to spend the day at the state capitol in Minnesota. Um, this is not something that I regularly do. I, I did make, over the years, a couple appearances at the state capitol, testifying on different things on behalf of Strong Towns. Um, but today I was invited to be part of a bill the presentation of the bill or a press conference uh, launching the bill. And I want to tell you about it. It was a different experience for me. It was very unique. It was something that, uh, I don't know, I think at Strong Towns, we just kind of don't do these kind of things. And so it was a very, it was something I was asked to do last month. Would you come in down and do this? I checked with my board. I talked with people. I'm like, do we do this? Should we do this? And we decided, yes, we need to get out and do this. So what was the bill? The bill, and, and this is really the reason why I was there. I could go into some depth about my interactions with state legislatures and even the U.S. Congress in the past. <laughs> in fact, maybe I'll do that a little bit. I have been invited many, many times, many, many, many times to help draft legislation, to help write uh, legislation, to comment on legislation, to testify in legislation. The first couple of times, this was very flattering, right? Like you're in the room where it happens. You're helping make the sausage. Da, 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 da. I, I have a little bit of experience at the state legislature. I did an internship back when I was in graduate school. It took a lot of the shiny veneer off, right? Like I assumed, <laughs> I assumed everybody at the state legislature was much smarter than me. That's not the case. A lot of them are very, very good people, but they're not there because they're brainiacs or, uh, you know, deep, deep into uh, intellectualism of policy. They might have staffs that do that geeking out, uh, but they themselves are generally like good politicians, which means they're good people, you know, people, people. And yeah, it takes a certain skill, but it's not the skill that I thought legislators would have. Anyway, I have been involved and been asked to uh, be part of a number of legislative processes. And let, let's just say I figured out pretty quickly that it was a time suck. Whatever uh, flattery came with that ask, right? Whatever 
flattery came along with, hey, you're in the room where it happens, wore off really, really quickly because I was doing a lot of work. I was doing a lot of research. I was doing a lot of writing. I was in my kind of political, naive, nonpartisan kind of way trying to draft things that I thought was correct as opposed to what I thought would pass. And I found that like most of my efforts there came to, to not. It was a waste of time. It was a huge waste of time. And we actually decided as an organization, we just weren't going to do this. And I was not going to feel bad about not doing it. We have, we have, we always talk about internally, we have kind of an infinite number of things we can do. We have many, many people trying to make claims on our time. And, you know, as a, as a member-based movement, um, it's been very freeing for me, liberating for me to be able to focus on our mission and to say no to a lot of things that are not in the bullseye of that mission. Uh, one of those things was legislative action and working with legislators to write up laws and et cetera, et cetera. So what was different about this? First, the bill that I went down and spoke in favor of, the, the press conference launching this legislative process, is a bill on parking mandates. Um, the bill is very, very simple. It's like two paragraphs long. So we'll put a copy to it in the notes here for the show. It is very, very simple. I read it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I would write. It essentially says, no city in Minnesota, my state where I'm from, no city can enact a mandate mandating that businesses, families, property owners provide parking, period. I mean, I like that's it. No city shall mandate parking requirements. I looked at this bill and I said, for its beauty and simplicity, I absolutely love it. My first reaction to them was, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't endorse bills. We don't get involved in legislation. I kind of went through the whole thing. And I said, but I'll check with my board. I'm going to be meeting with my board. I'm going to be having conversations with them. We do an annual retreat that was uh, in that time frame. I ran it by my board and my board said, you know, this doesn't feel like a distraction. This feels like core to who we are and core to what we do. So as a rule, we're not going to endorse legislation. We're not going to get involved in, in politics in that way. We're certainly not going to sit around and draft legislation. Uh, but when there are things like this that we can lend a hand to, um, let's go do that. Let's go um, make that happen. And so I told them I would do it. Uh, today was that day. I got up early. I'm a, a couple hours plus north of the capital here in St. Paul. And so I had to get up rather early and drive and make sure I didn't get caught in congestion and all that down in the, uh, the Twin Cities metro area. But I made it on time and uh, the press conference went great. The senator that is introducing the bill is a guy named Omar Fatah. And I, I hope I'm saying his last name right. This is the first time that I had ever met him. I know he's uh, well-known down in the Twin Cities metro area. Again, I'm not really involved that deeply in Minnesota politics, so I don't know all the names and all the players. And to the extent that I am involved, I, you know, we have our own representatives up here and our own senators and all that. I don't know all of them. I had never met this gentleman before. Wow, what an impressive dude, really. We had a very nice conversation. He is an impressive person in a whole number of ways, but one of them, and I, you know, this is 
kind of my measure of a, of a human being sometimes is he was just a kind, generous guy, right? He, he thanked me for taking the time. Uh, he made sure and thanked the other people that were there in the room. The whole thing was not about him. It was about the legislation and uh, what he hoped to accomplish by it and why it was important. And I felt very kind of connected to the whole thing. It was a, it was a really good, positive experience. And Omar, Senator Fatah, I'm just going to call him Omar because that's what everybody else called him. Omar was super cool and made it a very meaningful thing. And I think gave the launch a lot of energy. He said, and, and some of his staff said too, we were not expecting that many people in the room. The room was pretty full. I mean, there was a ton of people there. There was a lot of audience. There was a lot of people that came and kind of stood the way you do as a prop, right? Stand behind the, the person announcing the bill. Uh, there was a bunch of people doing that. And there was still a lot of people in the room. So there was a lot of enthusiasm for this. I don't know where that came from. I just, I did one little tweet. I don't think my little tweet had that much impact on it, but maybe it did get a couple hundred likes or what have you. Uh, I know it got passed around a little bit. I know some other people down there were tweeting and, and, and letting people know about this, but people showed up. It was a kind of a rainy day, not very cold day here in Minnesota. In fact, I just walked into the office and uh, G and I uh, took our evening walk and ended up here so I could record this podcast. I almost didn't wear a jacket. It's 30 degrees here. And it's funny because I know 30 degrees to the rest of you will seem rather cold. Uh, 30 degrees is like a 50 degree warm up. It feels like springtime here. Uh, down in the Twin Cities, uh, down in St. Paul, the capital, it was even warmer today. But it was rainy and it was an overcast. But people biked in, they took transit in, a few of them drove and they got there. And it was a, a big crowd, a very enthusiastic crowd. Senator Fatah introduced the legislation. Uh, he's a very good speaker. I enjoyed, like I said, getting to hang out with him a little bit. Also there was U.S. Representative Elon Omar. And again, I, I hope I say her name right. I said her name last night and my wife's like, that's not how you say her name. I am not like deeply involved in politics. I'm not saying it in a way to be negative or positive. Elon, I think is how you say her name. Elon Omar. I know that in some circles, she's quite controversial. I know she's very outspoken. It was quite an honor to meet her. She was, again, uh, like Omar was, very generous, very kind. And, you know, I watched her interact with the people that were there in the room, and she was very kind and, and generous to them as well. It was nice having her there. And I'm going to say a couple things about her at the very end. So if you want to hear more about Congresswoman Omar, hang on, I'll, I'll say a couple notes on her at the end. We've never done something like this. And when I was introduced, they made a big deal of the fact that Strong Towns hasn't endorsed legislation before. This is the first one we've ever endorsed. I was kind of surprised, quite frankly, that when I walked in the room, everybody there seemingly knew who I was, who Strong Towns was, uh, who we were. Obviously, we've been out front on this issue for a long, long time. And so maybe it shouldn't be completely shocking to me that people knew who we were, but it was, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting to walk into the room and be like, hey, it's Chuck Marone. It's amazing, Strong Towns. But that's what it was. That's what the vibe was. And when the senator announced that this is the first time Strong Towns has endorsed legislation, wow, was that like broadly received? That was received with kind of a lot of applause and a lot of enthusiasm. It was really cool. It made me feel very good. Uh, it made me feel good about the choice that our board made and that we made to, to be part of this process. Like I said, I've never done this before. And so there's a certain amount, and it didn't surprise me, there's a certain amount of political theater that goes along here, right? There's a podium up there. They had purchased uh, hundreds of copies, kind of a copy for everybody who would be voting on the bills. 
copy of Donald Shoup's book, The High Cost of Free Parking. There's a very thick book. So the table was sagging in the middle. It was kind of impressive, like this wall of, of Shoup books. Uh, very awesome. Uh, there were a lot of people going up and taking pictures in front of it, uh, taking selfies in front of it. And then when we got started, Senator Omar went up front and started talking. Everybody kind of gathered behind him with this set of books. And then some people held signs. The name of the act, People Over Parking Act, they all have to have their own little cutesy name, right? That's the name of this one, People Over Parking Act. And there were people there with signs for that and like supporting that. It was good theater. It was very interesting, but good legislation, right? After Senator... Omar spoke after Representative Omar. Oh, I keep calling them the wrong name. Senator Fatah, I, I'm sorry. Omar was what everybody called him, and that's just what's stuck in my brain. Senator Fatah, after he spoke and introduced everybody, then Representative Omar got up and she spoke. After that, there were a couple of other speakers uh, before they got to me. And it, it was interesting because one of them was one of our friends from the Parking Reform Network. These people have done amazing, amazing work on parking reform. They took the map that we put together of places that were in the process of changing their parking requirements. Uh, we started creating a map like in 2015 or somewhere around there, uh, just highlighting the momentum around this. They took over that map for us. They, they came to us and we we're like, here, take it, run with it. They did an amazing, amazing job with it. I met the guy, Sam, who did a lot of the initial research on that and put together kind of like the next version of it, which was much, much better than anything we put together. They've continued to run with this. The guy that was there, and then Tony from uh, the Parking Reform Network, let the crowd know, let everybody know that they were looking to do this nationwide, that they wanted to see this same kind of legislation rolled out in state after state after state after state. And I thought, that would be great. I'd love to endorse this in 49 other states. That would be wonderful. I want to talk a little bit about why we chose as an organization to endorse this. And there was a little bit of question on the team, right? Like people on the team were like, why are we doing this? I thought we didn't do this. We're not going to be in the habit of endorsing legislation. I, I can almost promise that, right? It's just not, uh, as I said before, a good use of our time or not a good use of our energy. Um, it's also not really what we're good at, right? Like it's not our core skill set. But in instances like this, instances where it is literally one of our five core campaigns is to eliminate parking mandates. One of our five core campaigns is to eliminate parking subsidies and mandates. We think that every city should do this. Every state should do this. This should be everywhere. We should all eliminate parking mandates. The fact that this is one of our priority campaigns, one of our core campaigns, and that the legislation was so simply written to really be about that issue and that issue alone made it one of those things that it's a no-brainer. If we can't endorse this, you know, what can we endorse? I was invited up to speak. I feel like that went really well. You know, I, I'm kind of a extemporaneous speaker. Like I didn't have written remarks and all that. I went up and I, I knew kind of what I wanted to say. And sometimes when you do that, things come out of your mouth really well. Sometimes they don't come out of your mouth exactly as you would like to have said them. On a podcast like this, I can pause and redo. On a live thing like that, you can't pause and redo. And so I walked away from it saying, wow, I'm really happy with how that turned out. That actually turned out fairly well. And uh, I'm going to play it for you at the end. I'll cut the clip of my little part and I'll, I'll play it for you at the end. So hang on and you'll hear that in a second. I said though in my, in my part that for me, parking mandates is not a partisan issue. Senator Fatah, who's there, 
talked about this being something he felt compelled to do because of climate change and because of housing affordability. I think those are very respectable reasons to be concerned about this issue. I personally, as the president of Strong Towns, welcome anyone who has those concerns and who wants to support ending parking mandates uh, to join us on this. I think there's also a broad set of concerns that would meet people who maybe weren't as sensitive to the issues that Senator Fatah is sensitive to. Issues like small business creation, issues like the ability of, of churches and other institutions to be able to make changes to their building without being forced to buy up homes and tear down the neighborhoods to meet parking mandates. I think the idea that we don't want school districts to have to buy up big properties. We don't want cities to have to wreck their tax bases with parking mandates. All of these things kind of come together to create what I think is kind of a universal issue. If you're very sensitive to the idea of climate, you want to reduce the amount people are driving, creating cities where people don't drive as much or where there's other options besides driving is a really good, really important, really helpful step. Parking mandates, when they're enforced, move us away from that. So getting rid of parking mandates will help. If you're very sensitive about uh, affordable housing, which I am too, like I understand that issue, having parking mandates essentially slows down the rate that we can build new housing and puts all kinds of costs on that new housing when it goes in, costs that don't really provide an appreciable amount of value. Joining us, if that's your issue, if that's the thing that really motivates you, joining us in eliminating parking mandates is a really important thing. Come with us. We want you on the team. If you are interested in entrepreneurship or small business startups, if you want to see people be able to have a vision and have a dream and go out and accomplish that, parking minimums, parking mandates by the city are, are one of the things that really skews the playing field away from local business, away from small business owners, away from entrepreneurs, and towards the corporate, the big box, the top-down, the centralized economic paradigm that we are delivered frequently in our cities. Uh, if you are sensitive to these issues, come on board, like join us on this issue. This is one that kind of unites everybody. If you are a property rights person, if you are just a limited government person, if you are someone who thinks that why is the government in the business of mandating anything, let alone parking, you're in the right place. You're in the right place. And there's a place for you in supporting this kind of legislation in Minnesota, if you're here, or in your state, if you're not. This is one of those core campaigns where there really is a place for everybody at the table. Parking mandates do a ton of damage. They really, really do. And let me say a couple things about them. There is one kind of impulse that resists the change in parking mandates. And, and that impulse is really a conservative impulse. I tend to be more sympathetic to uh, conservative impulses uh, than I do progressive impulses. That's not universally true, but that's a, a tendency of mine I will acknowledge but there's a certain kind of conservative pushback, conservative impulse around parking minimums that I think is really destructive that I want to address head on. And I want to address it in this way. If I look at the history here in Minnesota, and I believe this is reflected in a lot of states, parking mandates, parking minimums didn't come about at the local level by accident. It wasn't like people were dealing with this issue and then said, oh my gosh, uh, we have to have parking minimums because things are going really poorly here. We ran into this bad situation, so up the minimums. Uh, we ran into this situation over here, so we gotta create this new ordinance. That, that's not how any of this happened at all. What happened is that 
after World War II, and really in the 1950s and the 1960s, here in Minnesota, the state legislature, the governor's office, and the state agencies began to encourage cities to adopt zoning. There was a certain progressive, and I am saying that in a political sense, uh, there's a certain, this is the new thing, this is the way we build great cities, this is the way we're gonna build a great middle class, this is the way we're gonna grow, progressive economics, uh, we're gonna go out and build uh, highways and infrastructure and create all this growth. Part of preparing your city for this kind of better version of what a city could be was that you were going to be encouraged to and get more points and more rewards and you know be higher ranked and all that if you had an ordinance that regulated land use that included things such as parking minimums. And so parking minimums essentially propagated across North America, across Minnesota, as a response to the suburban experiment. How do we grow in this way? How do we facilitate that? With any program, and this is, I'm gonna sound like an Austrian economist here uh, for a little bit. With any government program, once you get it in place and once you get it going, right, there becomes this constituency that kind of pushes back against change, this natural resistance to change. That's the, the conservative impulse, right? So once you get used to having a certain amount of parking in your neighborhood, moving to a different paradigm, uh, even if that paradigm would be better or the transition would not be difficult or what have you, moving to that different paradigm creates a certain amount of tension, a certain amount of scariness, a certain amount of unknown that the status quo does not represent. I have been on my own city's parking commission and I have seen how broadly embraced reforms, reforms that when I meet and talk with council members, they're all about, yes, we're down with this. We want to see this happen. When we meet as a committee, everybody on the committee is engaged. When we invite people in to testify and talk about it, they're all like, yep, we see how this, this needs to work. I see how difficult it is to get parking minimums passed or parking mandates repealed. Because once they're in place, all it takes is a handful of people to show up at that public hearing and you know, voice their calamity for people to get nervous and for things to become really difficult. The parking commission that I was on came up with a, a big recommendation. I actually published it on the website. It's a couple of things we were gonna do to not only eliminate parking mandates, but provide a price for parking and do some other very logical things in our core downtown. We had done a lot of engagement, a lot of outreach. We had actually met with a council in a joint session. Everybody was on board. And then we had a public hearing. And even though you know my city has 14,000 people, and there were literally thousands of people that would have benefited from this change. About three uh, or four property owners showed up, people who owned apartment buildings in the downtown, people who were used to having the government subsidize parking for them so that they could rent out the buildings with parking provided that they didn't have to pay for. The government was paying for that. The local government was paying for that. They showed up and created all kinds of noise. Uh, that noise got in the newspaper, of course. It was kind of magnified beyond what uh, just a handful of people would be. And pretty soon the cold feet uh, showed up and the ordinance didn't get scrapped completely. We got changed radically in response to what was just a tiny handful of property owners. There's an asymmetry here that exists when we try to repeal parking minimums. And the asymmetry of power is exactly as I just described. There might be a thousand people who would benefit from this, a tiny amount but there are a few people who are going to feel threatened by it by a large amount. The thousands of people 
who benefit by a tiny amount each are not going to be motivated by that tiny incremental benefit to show up at a meeting and advocate for this. It's the rare circumstance. It's a place where you've got a strong town's local conversation that's very organized, that can show up with a lot of people. In Minneapolis, where they were able to do this, they have a number of coalitions that are on board with this that showed up and helped the city of Minneapolis repeal their parking mandates. But in a city like Brainerd, you might think I'm magic here. I'm not magic here. We don't have that. Uh, it's hard to get people to show up to meetings to support things. And so even though there's a lot of benefit, the handful of people who are really threatened by this are going to show up and have an outsized influence. That factor keeps cities from doing this. I want to wrap this up by talking a bit about the change that I've had in my kind of thoughts on statewide mandates and statewide changes and statewide ordinances. Because I have long been a critic of these kind of actions, particularly as we've seen them take place around housing and around things like speed cameras and other things where the state legislature comes in or the state government comes in and says, all right, here's a one-size-fits-all solution to everybody. I have generally been opposed to this because I'm an advocate for local government. Because I think that local government should do a lot of these things on their own. And not only do I think they should do things on their own, I think the state has a tendency to kind of overcompensate. So this is a big issue in this area. Uh, we're going to mandate it for all places, even places where it's not a big issue. This is something that will be good for an urban area. We're going to enact it. Yeah, it might not work for a rural area or a small town, but so what? You're going to live with it and adapt it. I want cities to have more tools in their toolbox. I want cities to have more options, not fewer options. And I'm generally against taking those kinds of tools out of city toolboxes. Why the difference in this case? Why the difference in this scenario? And, and I think it's simple. Cities are stuck right now. These parking mandates have been brought in. They feel kind of scientific-y, even though they are literal like pseudoscience. They're literal like made up BS in most instances. You know, there've been a lot, a lot of, a lot of different studies, a lot of different things shown that people are just pulling these numbers out of nowhere, right? Where they are coming from somewhere. They're a copy of a copy of a copy. Nobody at city hall knows how much parking is needed or required or should be in any particular establishment. The business owners themselves don't even know this. It's a ridiculous thing. The idea that we would linger on in this stuck condition, this condition where cities have to go through this long, drawn out, moving off the status quo, dealing with this asymmetry, is one of those things where this legislation cuts through that. It's, as I say in my remarks, and you'll hear them in a couple minutes, it gets cities unstuck. And I have kind of evolved to a point in my thinking where if we can get cities unstuck on issues like parking minimums, get cities unstuck on issues like single-family zoning being single-family exclusive zoning, if we can get them unstuck on things like that, we can actually free them up to focus on a lot more difficult things, a lot more complex things. My gut says, you know, legislation like this should have an expiration date, right? In 10 years, it will go away. For the next 10 years, uh, you can't require parking mandates. You can't mandate parking with places. I feel like once we get switched off of center a decade from now, nobody's going to go back. No one's going to switch back. There's going to be a kind of an evolution of things and there'll be an expectation and no one's going to want to shift back. But I think having it not have a time limit, it will probably work in this case as well. 
I have shifted my thinking and I'm more open to the idea that some of these statewide legislative efforts can actually help get cities unstuck. All right, I'm gonna play my little piece in this. Before I do, I wanna say just a couple words about Representative Omar. I know Elon Omar is a controversial figure. I have to admit, and my wife jokes with me all the time, she's like, you're so smart, you read so much, but you don't know anything about politics. It's not that I don't know anything about politics. I don't really follow it all that closely. Like, I don't care about the horse race. I know there's a lot of people who listen to Strong Downs podcast who obsess over all this stuff. If you went back to Chuck Marone 20 years ago, I could tell you who the deputy secretary of transportation was. I could tell you who every cabinet position was. I watched all the shows. I listened to all the radio, whatever. I would read all the newspapers. I was up to speed on all this. It was very important to me. I do not care today. Like, I just don't care. I'm going to say this, and I know we're in an election year, so this is going to offend some of you. I don't say this to be offensive. I don't find a lot of difference from a strong hands perspective between our two major parties. I don't. They're both centralizing parties. They're both top-down parties. They're both willing to build a ton more uh, highway lane miles. They're willing to support a, a lot of things that I just don't support. They're willing to uh, subsidized single-family housing across the U.S. and in the face of uh, this affordability issue we have. Basically, you go down on every single issue that is a priority issue for strong towns, and our two major parties kind of line up in lockstep on them. There's not a lot of difference in my mind. And while you might have one party, a left-of-center party here in the U.S., that is sympathetic to our issues in some ways, you know, they are willing to, as part of kind of a, a top-down centralizing agenda, kind of sell out a lot of the things that we are against or we struggle with in order to get a little bit of transit, a little bit of walkability, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's not a game I play. It's not something that I'm involved in. It's not something I spend a lot of time in. Now, there are legislators that I really like. There are people in the U.S. Congress that I've gotten to know that I really like and really admire. There are a lot more people talking our language. I don't think this is a, a forever thing, but I'm just not, I'm not very engaged in it. So if you're going to email me, if you're going to get on my case because I stood at a podium with Representative Elon Omar, I don't really want to hear it because I don't really care. She's there supporting the thing that I care about deeply, and that makes her a friend of mine. And as I said in my talk, I will stand on stage with anybody who supports the things that I support. If they're there supporting those things, they're a friend of mine and I wanna work with them and I wanna get that stuff done. I wanna tell you something about Representative Omar though, because I do know who she is. I, you know, I am a Minnesotan, I have seen her name around. I know that she carries a little bit of baggage with her in some ways. Like I said, I live in a, a more conservative area. I, I know that she is often uh, grouped in with people who I get mailings about. Again, I don't really spend a lot of time with these mailings. I block every spam text that comes in from a politician. So I'm, I'm not getting inundated with like anti-Omar stuff, but I know it's out there. I'm aware that it's out there. And I'm aware that she is a talking point in this way. And I'm gonna say this to you because I, I think it's important for us as part of the Strong Towns movement to, to recognize this and understand this. It's always important to me to note how human people are making these decisions. I'll give an analogy. We, we root for basketball teams. I've got my own local basketball team, the Minnesota Timberwolves, that has been doing very well this year, and it's fun to cheer for them. I have a baseball team that I really like, the Minnesota Twins, and I cheer for them, and I like them. 
I listen to radio shows. I sometimes go on Twitter and get a little bit of the talk after a game or what have you. It's amazing because, you know, there's all this buzz on there. And, and these are well-paid athletes, right? Like I get it. They're an elevated place, but they're also human. And when you go through and you read like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is a bum. Uh, Anthony Edwards doesn't know what he's doing. He's a sl- you know, slough off. He's, you know, and you go and you're starting to name people by name. And it's like, this guy's a bum. This guy's worthless. Throw him out. Da, 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 da. There's a part of me that like recognizes that this has got to be really hard. Um, there's got to be really hard to exist in a world when you're a high profile person and people are like dishing out that stuff. I get a little bit of it. I get a tiny bit of it. I've learned to deal with it, but Elon Omar gets a lot of it, right? She gets a lot of it. I know she gets death threats. I know that she gets serious death threats. I know that she gets uh, a lot of abuse. And I watched this woman show up today. I watched her as a skilled politician, work the room, talk to people. As I said before, she came across as very generous, very kind. She came across as very sincere. Uh, She was not there as someone who was doing a political favor for someone. She was there because she really believes in this legislation. And that, that, like I said, she's on my team. I'm on her team now. Like, we're going to work on this thing together. I think that that's great. I'm going to say this, and I don't say this to embarrass her in any way, but to maybe make her a little bit more human. When it was her turn to give her remarks, she had written remarks down. And she got up at the podium. And this is someone who speaks in Congress. This is someone who's very outspoken. This is someone who, you know, is not afraid to grab the microphone and say what she thinks needs to be said. And as she stood at the podium, I watched her shake a little bit. I watched her be nervous. You know, when we're nervous sometimes when we speak, we get that little shake in our hands. We get that little shake in our body. I watched her grip both sides of the podium, and I watched her visibly be nervous. I watched her have the outward expression of nervousness. And it occurred to me, you know, this is one of the the top politicians in our state. This is one of the more accomplished people in our state. This is one of the more outspoken people in the U.S. Congress. She is a well-known person around the country. And here she is in a very real setting, standing right in front of me, very human, struggling to one degree or another with nerves, speaking in front of what is really a friendly audience and a friendly room. I walked away from that with a sense that this woman has some bravery in her. And I think if you know her story a little bit, you maybe kind of came to that conclusion anyway. Like her politics, dislike her politics, agree with the things she says, don't agree with what she says. I don't care either way. I can tell you, like, she's not running any election that I can vote for. If she did, she probably wouldn't get my vote. She's not my kind of politician, but as a human being, she's very impressive. She's very real. She's very human. And it was another affirmation to me that the people who make our laws, the people who vote on things, there's a lot of them that I think shame us. There's a lot of them that embarrass us. There's a lot of them that uh, are in it for the wrong reasons. Almost all of them that I've met, almost all of them that I've interacted with, not only are they decent humans, but they're actually there for good reasons. They're actually there for the right reasons. They're actually there doing uh, good work. And so I say that not as someone who hobnobs with a lot of politicians. I really don't. It was kind of a, uh, you know, I've never met either of these two before, either uh, Senator Fatah or Ilan Omar. They were delightful to be around, uh, very real people and uh, very human and uh, worth our respect and, and uh, in some ways our compassion. And in terms of strong towns, they're on our team, right? They are promoting uh, one of our priority campaigns to eliminate parking mandates. Uh, they want to do it statewide in Minnesota. 
Congresswoman Omar wants to do this nationwide. I, I really don't know how that legislation would work uh, since the federal government doesn't do local zoning, but hey, I'm interested, like talk to me. Um, but the idea that we would roll this out and there would be 49 other states that would, would be pursuing a similar thing, this is a really great vision. And I'm glad it's starting here in my home state. I'm glad it's starting here with these people who I respect. And I'm really, really proud to have been part of it today. So I'm gonna be done. Thanks everybody for listening. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Now here is me, <laughs> Chuck Marone, at the Minnesota Senate office building, my little talk on why we should support this legislation. Thanks everybody. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Uh, next up we have Chuck Marone, uh, who is the author of several books and he is uh, the founder and president of Strong Towns. Uh, Strong Towns is a national organization dedicated to creating strong local communities by supporting smart, fiscally responsible policies. Um, I'm very proud to say that this is the first uh, piece of legislation that Strong Towns has ever endorsed. Uh, they normally do not get involved in specific uh, legislation, but they felt that this one uh, was special enough to get an exception. So I'm honored by that, I'm humbled by that. Thank you so much. Hami, welcome Chuck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, and that is true. And I am very proud to be here today. I, Strong Towns has grown to be this uh, very large organization. But 15 years ago, in a very humble way, we began here in Minnesota. And many of you may be familiar with our Black Friday parking initiative that we've done now for over a decade, where we crowdsource people to go out on the busiest shopping day of the year and take photos of parking lots. And over and over and over again, we show around the country, around Minnesota, I do this in Brainerd every year, there's way more parking than what we actually need. We have mandated an absurd amount of parking. And I know Donald Shoup, he is a very good man. Uh, this book is a genius book. If this is intimidating in size to you, I'll summarize it for you in a tweet. Uh, <laughs> the parking standards that dominate our codes and restrictions at the city level today are pseudoscience that came out of a, a snapshot of suburban expansion in the 1950s and are not applicable to cities generally today. I, I want to give you three short stories about how parking mandates have impacted and continue to impact cities, small businesses, Minnesotans. And this happens every day. I'm gonna tell you this happens every day somewhere. A person has an idea for a small business. They are the kind of person that we want to celebrate, the kind of person who, whether they are an immigrant or a poor person or someone with just a vision and a dream, they have an idea of something they want to do. They go and they find a building, they develop their business plan, they maybe get a little bit of backing and support, whatever they need to get off the ground. And then they go down to City Hall and they ask for their permit, and they're told everything is great except you need to provide five more parking spots, eight more parking spots, 12 more parking spots to make this work. Why? It's in an existing building, an existing neighborhood. My clients are gonna walk, they're gonna bike, they're gonna get here other ways. Why do I have to do this? That's what the rules are. And so in order to put that business up, you have to buy an adjacent business, tear it down to build a parking lot. This is unworkable and it literally kills entrepreneurship and small business innovation. Every day in every city, big and small, this is happening all over the place. Number two, and this is an example close to home for me, a church. 
wants to add a gathering place. Uh, you've got a congregation, and it would be really nice for people to be able to meet after service. Maybe if there's a wedding, for people to be able to meet beforehand or afterhand. If there's a funeral, uh, people to be able to sit around. A lot of older churches don't have this. So they go in, and they're like, we just want to put this little addition on. We're not increasing the size of our congregation. We're not increasing the size of our services. We're just expanding what is being offered to our, our, our parishioners. Nope, can't do it without 20 additional parking spaces, about 40 additional parking spaces. Requiring the church to buy up homes in the neighborhood, tear them down in places where we need housing in order to provide parking. My own church went through this and did this in Brainerd. Uh, third little example, we do have a housing crisis. We need more housing and we need more housing at the low end of the cost spectrum. We need to build lots and lots more of this. We have a situation across Minnesota where particularly retirees are house rich and cash poor. They have extra bedrooms, but not enough money to pay their taxes, to service and maintain the house. We need to have easier systems for them to take that extra bedroom and make it into an efficiency apartment, to take that extra backyard space and make it into a cottage. When they have to go to City Hall and say, yep, here's all the requirements you have to meet, and then on top of that, you have to provide two, three, four additional parking spaces. It becomes an unnecessary burden to doing something essential and urgent in our cities. Parking mandates, and we've talked a little bit, and this book is brilliant, and we've talked a little bit about the kind of tense, maybe pushback we anticipate around some of this. I, I wanna give a tiny bit of historical perspective because if we go back to that post-World War II boom, there was a, uh, just call them series of best practices that the state of Minnesota encouraged cities to do. The federal government encouraged cities to do. These are the things that progressive kind of get out in front of the growth and development kind of places would, would institute. Large school campuses being one, large parking lots being another. And we literally as a state encourage cities to adopt these standards. A lot of cities have recognized the folly, and a lot of cities have backed off from that. My city of Brainerd has done some tweaks, but those tweaks were done at extremely high cost. A full year and a half of meetings and debates and public hearings and animosity building up. The reason I'm here supporting this legislation, not just because this is core to what Strong Towns is about. It's one of our five priority campaigns, eliminate parking mandates. And I will stand with anybody from any political persuasion that is ready to do that. But this legislation is about getting cities unstuck. It's about allowing them to move on. That process of change at the local level Cities can do this on their own, but it's hard. It's extremely difficult. It takes a high toll and a high price. And quite frankly, we need our cities working on more urgent things, more difficult things. This is a silly abstraction that we are left with from the 1950s, and it's time to move on from it. This legislation will get cities unstuck. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I hope it passes the legislature unanimously and gets signed into law. Thank you for inviting me here. that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. 
Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.